0: Well, welcome to church this morning. Welcome to church at lunchtime. Amen. All right, we want to welcome all of those who are watching us online. We pray that God will bless you. I'm honored and privileged this morning to start this series called The Status Update. And I want to say that it's, you know, it's very significant, this series of sermons that we start today, because I believe that when by the time we get through... All of them, it's going to impact your life, and it could be a major impact to your life and how you deal with the issues of life. Because, you see, the deal is that right friends set us up for success in every area of our lives that matters. Think about it. So I want you to think, who are your friends? Who are really your friends? I think a lot of us have a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends. You see, the flip side is also true as well. If we get our friendships wrong, that can set us up for pain, for trials, for struggles, for destruction. That can mess us up because the wrong friends will mess you up. So throughout this whole series of sermons, the key takeaway for all four weeks is this. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's the way it works. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me the people that you spend the most time with and I'll clearly show you the trajectory of your life. And a lot of times, now I didn't believe that when I was growing up. I didn't want to hear that. And let me tell you, I'm here to tell you, I paid a big price for rejecting that advice. My mother would always say to me and my brothers, there was four boys two girls, one good brother, and the other three of us was just little, three little devils, all right? We grew up in church. My father pastored a big church, and the reason we were bad was because we hung around with the deacon's kids, and that's why we were bad. But my mother's little favorite saying was, tell me who you are, tell me who you walk with, and I'll tell you who you are. Now, when I was little, I didn't mind hearing that. When I got in my teens, I didn't want to hear that. Because she always say, if you hang around with liars, you're going to be a liar. If you hang around with thieves, you're going to steal. If you hang around with people that drink alcohol, you're going to be an alcoholic. If you hang around with people that do drugs, she used to say, smoke that funny stuff, you're going to wind up being a drug addict. That's exactly what happened to all three of us because friendships do matter. Matter of fact, Solomon in Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and you'll become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. So who are you walking with? Who are your friends? Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that you share with, the people that you depend on? In other words, if you hang around with people who are better than you, wiser, smarter, have better marriages, have better, have more money, have uh, better leaders, you're going and you're going to like them. And what's going to happen is that you're going to be able to be raised to a higher level of life because you're hanging around with the right people. But if you hang around with a bunch of idiots, if you hang around with a bunch of party fugs, troublemakers, lazy do-nothing people, you're gonna, they're going to drag you down and you're going to wind up being like that. Now, you can say amen or you can say oh me. Either one be perfect. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not here to make you feel good. Welcome to Vibrant Church. We just love making you feel good. And you may say, well, Pastor Ron, you're stepping on my toes. Don't worry about it. God heals toes. (laughs) And my dad also had a saying. He used to tell us, don't run with people. He said, run with people that run faster than you. Or run with people that run as fast as you do, but do not run with people that don't run as fast as you because they'll drag you down. And before you know it, you're down there behind right with it where they are because those people want you to be where they're at. And there are people in life that are like that. They don't want to rise above their situation, but they want you to come and stay where they're at. And in, and then in time, you wind up being dragging behind. Show me your friends, and I promise you I can show you your future. And in fact, as I look at my life, if there's any area in my life that I have accomplished, anything that's worthwhile or any kind of success, it's directly tied to God using the right people that he put in my life when I finally came to my senses and gave my life to the Lord. People that came into my life and people that spoke wisdom into my life, people that corrected me in love, people that said, no, that's not cool. Can't do that. People that put me in the right mindset, the right actions that led me into the right directions. And I owe anything that I have accomplished to God and to those people because they helped me. They didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. You got a lot of friends that do that. You get angry at somebody and say, yeah, they're no good. They tell you what you want to hear. You buy into that because it makes you feel good. Somebody's siding with you. And those are your enemies, really. They're not your friends. And almost any time that I got in trouble, it was because I was running around with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, allowing them to influence me in the wrong direction. So as we go through the next four weeks, we want to take a moment, and, and this is what I want you to do. In your notes that you got with you, there's five little blanks, and I want you to put down the five closest people in your life. Who are the five? Don't look at me. Come on, start writing. There's pens right in front of you. And just you, know, you haven't been in school in a long time because they shut it down. Now you're in school. So write down the five closest friends that you have in your life. Don't think about it. Just start doing it right now. Don't write down your spouse's name. <laughs> that may not be the one of your friends. <laughs> Don't write your dog's name and your cat's name, especially the cat. Leave him out. I'm talking about the people that you can call at two in the morning, the people that you can be transparent with. They know everything about you. The people that you are intimate with and they're intimate with you, those are the people I want you to put down. I'm talking about the five closest friends that you have. Sociologists and, and leadership experts have said for years that you are the average of the five closest friends that you have in your life. Think about that. You are the average of the five closest people in your life. So when you put those names, you got to consider that you got five people that are the closest, you sit in the middle. And in almost every area of your life, you'll be somewhere in the middle as the average of the five. Even even in the area of finances, you're kind of somewhere in the middle. You may not make all the money, but you're not making the least amount of money. You're in the middle because you surround yourself with people that know how to handle money and have wise knowledge of money. You're kind of in the middle. If you went out last night and you got high and you're a party animal and you went out and got high smoking weed or you went out drunk, the fact of the matter is that you probably were three of your closest friends were with you getting doing the same thing. So you're right in the middle. You're either a pothead or you drink. Amen? Oh, me. If, you, if you're pursuing God with all of your heart, chances are that three or four people on your list are the kind of people, not perfect, but they're also pursuing God with their hearts as well. You're gonna be the average of the five closest people, friends in your life. Because, like it or not, your mama was right. You are who you run around with. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And so, as we look at this list, the question arises are you hanging around with the right people? Are you hanging around with the right people? Oh, I hang around with her or with him because I want to win them for Jesus. So why are you going to the bar with them? Why are you, why are you doing what you're doing with them? What kind of influence? You know how bad that is? That's like me taking a potato that's been in the oven for for an hour, baking And take that hot potato. And I'm going to put it in the refrigerator. And I'm going to say watch this potato. Change the temperature of this refrigerator. Ain't going to happen sooner or later. That potato is going to be just as cold. As everything else in that refrigerator. I mean that's a simple illustration. But it's true. So you, you have got to realize. Do you want to become. Like those you're with. Or would you like to. Change those who you hang around with. If you really want to please God, maybe I don't have the best influences around my life, but I want to please God. What do I have to do? Think about all the areas of your life. If you want to have a good marriage, are you hanging around with people that have good marriages? Now, I didn't say perfect marriages because there isn't, that animal doesn't exist. I'm talking about good marriages. Who are the people that you associate with other couples in your life if you're looking to have good marriage or you're you're hanging around with people that have marriages that are all jacked up, they're always bad-mouthing their wives, bad-mouthing their husbands, you know, going around and just trashing and being disrespectful to one another? You want to be stronger financially? Then you need to hang around with people that understand how to manage money God's way. You want to be stronger spiritually you want to be better, you want to be in better shape than what you are physically? You know, this is the good one right here. If you want to be in better shape, you don't need to be hanging around with people that eat, eat Twinkies as a, a hobby. You don't need to be doing that. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And you are in almost every area of your life, the average of the five closest friends that you have. Now let's define friendship. Because we're going to use it as a baseline of definition for the next few weeks. Now let me read Proverbs 17, 17, 17 to you. A friend is someone you may or may not know well, who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your post to make you feel good about yourself. That's the Facebook version of this verse. That's not real, is it? But you have to admit that Facebook, social media is having a real impact on how we, uh, how we define friendships today. Now let me read Proverbs 17, 17 from the Bible. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a handful, maybe five, six, seven friends who love you all the time, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you fall on your face, how many mistakes you've made, they're there for you, they love you, they appreciate you, they're there to prop you up. They look beyond your faults and they see who you are. Not just for a short season of your life, but for decades. Where you end up knowing each other's families and investing in each other's families and investing in each other's children. Where there's cross-pollination when it comes to the spiritual things in your life. Where you learn from them and you learn from you. They learn from you as to who you are and what you can contribute. And you make each other better people because you have a deep-rooted friendship where they love you enough to tell you the truth when you're doing something stupid, where they love you enough to kick you in the tail when you're about to do something that's going to hurt you or somebody else. I'm talking about the kind of friends that are there with you to celebrate the good times To cry with you when you cry. To hurt with you when you hurt. When you're grieving, when you're down. They're there with you. When you're up, they're there with you. When you succeed, they brag on you. They champion you. They're not jealous of you. In bad times, you can find that they're going to be there. Now, what if you had a community of people that are like that? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That stays with you, you as a friend for decades. When I came to Birmingham in 1972, straight out of New York City, was that ever a shocker? A couple of months later, I got there in March of 1972. Some of you won't even thought of then. In June of 72, I went to a church in Tuscaloosa. I already had been praying for God to find me a helpmate. I was standing there looking around as I was speaking. And God showed me this beautiful girl that was sitting over there in a red dress, her long hippie hair. Ooh. Talk to me, baby. And God said, There's your wife. Ooh. Started doing the Pentecostal shake up there. But Miriam and I were part of a church after we married. And we made friends with young couples that were newlyweds and we all were having children. We're still friends with those people. They're some of my best friends. We love each other. We care for each other. We know the good, the bad, and the ugly. We know everything about our kids. Nobody's judgmental. We pray for each other. We lift each other. We laugh. We cut up. But these are godly people. They love God. They're not fanatics, but they love God. I don't want to be a friend with a space cadet. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Amen, you ever met one of those? When we first started here, there's some that come to church with these Bibles full of all kinds of notes and a big cross hanging. I said, "Oh God." Friends, good friends. Scripture says that a real friend loves at all times. And the problem is, according to studies that have been made, very few of us have friends like that anymore. Very few people have those type of friends. In fact, according to the American Sociologist review, the average American today only has two close friends. That's America, across America. Now, you don't find this in Africa. Mir and I have been to Africa many times, to other parts of the world, Central America, South America, and other countries. We We don't see this there. But in America, that's the way it is. Two, only two. And the chances are that when I asked you earlier to write down the five closest people to you, the majority of you probably only put down two people. Which may seem very alarming to you, but think about it. In just two and a half decades, our close friends have been cut to the average by a third. And no one seems to notice or even care. And what's even more scary than that to me is that 25% of the Americans, one in four, report that they do not have a single close friend, a trusted friend. Think about that. How many of you know that there's something, something very desperately wrong with that picture? So friendships are, are declining. There's no doubt about it. So the question is, why do you think that is happening? Well, based on research, I'm gonna give you the top three reasons why friendships are declining. One is because the increase of work hours. Work hours. We're working all the time. Some people two and three jobs. Now, I, don't, I don't begrudge a person that for financial situations of need, They have to work two jobs. I'm not saying that. But some people just become workaholics. They work all the time. Pushing, pushing all the time. People are working so much. They're not developing relationships. We don't have time for relationships. The second thing is the rise in divorce rates. Studies show that not only are divorces hard on families, but they're hard on friendships. Because when a person wants up in a divorce, this is what happens. You get the house, I get the car, I get half of the house when we sell it. You can only have the kids this weekend. I can have them this weekend. No, I'm not going to give you the kids. And in the midst of that, whatever friends you have, they also get divided. He gets hot friends and she gets hot People immediately take sides. Because friends always wind up taking sides. Friendships immediately break. Number three, the explosion of social media. There's the big reason. Now, I, I believe there's a lot of great use for social media. Our church levels leverages, uh, social media tremendously. But there are a lot of great benefits in it. I personally use Facebook But I'm not in there all the time posting stuff. Some of you guys, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram—where in the—where do you have time? Huh? Where? How much time do you have to be in all those three shooting your mouth off, talking, and getting in everybody's business? What is so important out there with this jerk? Who plays the guitar out in the middle somewhere, some rock singer, some movie star, some. You see, social media has redefined the way we think about friends. For example, I can guarantee you that years ago, none of you ever thought about picking up a telephone, calling every friend that you ever had to tell them what you're having for breakfast in the morning. You know that yellow phone you used, we used to have in the kitchen with the long, long cord that if your mama caught you using it, they'd beat your brains out? No, you didn't do that when all we had was phones. But today, a lot of you get your phones out in the morning, you haven't even brushed your teeth, and you're taking a picture of the oatmeal. This is what I have for breakfast. Who cares? The bre- that oatmeal is not even real. It's instant. fake oatmeal (laughs) we're going to have fun and experts tell us that now rather than becoming more concerned about face to face intimate relationships we become obsessed with our online image what people think we are we share our hearts our thoughts broadcast them in about 140 characters or less We'll post on Facebook telling everybody how we feel, how someone can pray for us, how I don't like that lady, how she did me wrong, he did me wrong, don't buy this product over here. You know, it's crazy. People become expert psychologists on Facebook. And then to top it all off, we get that thing out. And we get a selfie. Oh, that doesn't look good. Let me get this angle. But for sure, let me not get this angle because I don't look good. And we take a picture. And then we turn around and um, we put the, fil- the, the picture through 50 different filters. Listen, I've seen some of you on Facebook and I said, no. Nah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I saw your face, baby, it didn't look like that. <laughs> and I just saw you this morning in church. Dude, you didn't have hair this morning when I saw you in church. <laughs> hey, thank you, sweetheart, whatever you are. <laughs> Look at that, I'm making that little girl laugh. Yeah, and, and, and we do that. People getting pictures and changing them and fixing them, you know, and some people get a little cute with the little horns and the. Oh, come on. And then we upload it to see what friends think about it. And you know what they do? They lie to you. Oh, you look so cute, honey. Oh, so sweet. And then you don't know this thing. She is stupid putting that on Facebook. (laughs) He thinks he's cool. He ain't cool. And we feel like we're connecting with each other because of that. You see, you can stay in touch with other people through social media. But you know, the deal is that that's only a supplement. God never intended for it to be a permanent way of communication to replace relationships. God never meant social media to replace your relationships. It meant it to be a supplement, not a replacement. And often people are allowing it to replace the intimacy of a relationship. And so what we have now is people with more likes, more fans, more followers, more Facebook friends. And they're more alone than ever before. People today are lonely. Yet something in their life is missing. Something isn't right. And we need more. Listen to me. We need more face-to-face, personal, in-depth relationships. And let me tell you where we're going to, to where we're going in the next few weeks. Next week, it's going to be about one friend away. Week three, Pastor Dino is going to talk about marriage. Week four, one community away. And week five is unfriending. But today, I want to spend time talking to you about the friends we need to be to others. I want to talk to you about rediscovering the lost art of friendship. There are two great needs. Here's the first one. Learn to be present. Learn to be present. I want you to repeat this statement with me. Come on, everybody. I will develop my friendships. Wait. This side is woke up. You guys are here all asleep. Come on. I will develop my friendships face-to-face. And not just a thumb to thumb. Think about this. When Jesus called his disciples to come with him to change the world, he didn't give them a book and said, here, this is my life. Go read it and then come back and follow me. No, he didn't do that. He said, no, you come with me. You follow me. I want you to come with me. Let's do life together. Let's journey together. Let's have breakfast together. Let's suffer together. Let's let's do everything together. Let's change the world together. Let's go from town to town ministering to people. That's how you're going to get to know who I am. Because Jesus' philosophy was that the best way I can impart love of my Father to you is to be with you and have you to be with me. So guys, this morning, let's be present with one another. Let's not let social media de- determine who our friends are and put us distance away from people. In fact, we, what's really interesting is that our children are more dissatisfied sometimes with parents because while children use social media more than parents, a lot of parents are on it and you're robbing your children of you, who you are. They don't want you on social media. They want you to be with them. Now, there are some kids that'll tell you, no, I'm going to stuck in my room. Since when do you put a television in a 13-year-old kid's room and give him a computer and a telephone, and he's in there while you're out here? Uh Uh-uh, you're going to be right here whether you like it or not, buddy. This is my house. I'm the dictator here. I pay the rent. I feed your face. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Thank you. We're letting children dictate. I've seen little four-year-olds run to home. I pull that diaper off you and beat you and tell them. Kill you and tell God you died. You see, and, and, and kids, what they want is as much as they may fight it. Listen, I had a mother just. In, after the service, the first service, that I've been working with her and her teenager because I've spent years working and counseling with teenagers. And I said, you need to practice tough love. And I told her, this is what you got to do. Don't buy this baloney when they tell you, I hate you. I hate your guts. I don't like you. I, I wish you were dead. That's all right. You're not looking at what's that. You're looking at what's going to happen 30 years from now with your little girl, little boy. Forget about that. I hate you. Hate you nothing. I'm your father, and I'm going to do what's got to happen. This is the way it is, whether you like it or not. You can hate me today, but I guarantee you, when you get 25 years old and 30, you're going to love me. (laughs) You know why I know that? Because Miriam and I have done that. That's all I'm going to say. And, and you got adults, grown adults now, not giving their children the attention they need. And they're, they're on their computers, on their phones, watching that sweet lady. And I, I watch it from time to time, Brenda, who does cooking, the cooking lady. She knows how to cook. Let me say, you better check out. She doesn't know how to cook. She cooks so good. When you get up, when she finishes, you want to take the, your, your phone screen and lick it. <laughs> or oh, they're playing, playing Candy Crush or solitary, or fortnight. Come on. Look at what's happening in our school systems in America. This pandemic has messed us up. So now a lot of school systems around the country are closed down. They're not going to open the schools when we're being told by, by science that it's okay for kids to be in school. But those that control the school system are so greedy for government money that they won't open those schools. And you know what we're being told by psychologists? That today in many homes, the abuse on the life of children is horrendous. That there's suicide rates going up in children. There's drug addiction. They're failing in school. They're depressed because of a lack of friendships. I saw four young people be interviewed on TV the other day, and they were asked, what do you miss? And the number one thing was, I miss being with my friends. I miss learning by a, a teacher being up in the front teaching us. They're, I'm going to tell you, those, those unions don't care. They don't, they don't give a flip. It's destroying that that part of our lives that, that God building us to be to be with each other, to know each other, to have friendships, to have relationships. And it's hurting these kids because they're not with each other and they don't have mom and dad to be there with them either. How many times you walk into a restaurant and see a family of five sitting there and they're all on the phone? Whoever thought now, this is my thinking, whoever thought of giving a nine-year-old a telephone? No, you telephone. I'm going to give you a telephone. Really? And then we wonder why. Are you checking what they're seeing? Are you checking who they're contacting? You know that the age, the, today one of the biggest age brackets of pornography is from the age 12 to 16? You can say amen or Oh me, that's right. We need to be present. That's the whole thing. We need to be present. And the writer of Hebrews said it some time ago. And it's true to, to right now. And it couldn't have been any more prophetic for the times in which we live. In Hebrews 10, 25, he said, Let us think of ways to motivate one another through its acts of love and good works. What a, what a great statement. What a great thing for us to do. When, when's the last time that you got together with friends and you said, hey, let's do something significant. Let's go do something for somebody that's in need. Let's get together and have a meal. No phones, no television. Let's have fun. Let's get together in fellowship. Let's serve one another in the name of Jesus. Let's go somewhere and let God be known to somebody. Come over the house for a little while. So what if the house is not in perfect shape? We're not interested in what your house looks like. We're interested in you. Let's get together and let's stir one another to good works and acts of love. Because and then he goes on and he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. That, those words, meeting together, in the Greek, is only two places in the Bible that it mentions that, and it means to meet physically with a spiritual purpose. So if I was to reread, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together with a spiritual purpose, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is nearing, is drawing near." We need one another. Let us not give up meeting together, be it at church or be it in your home with friends, not on Facebook. Because there's power in presence. There's power in that physical presence of people coming together. There's power in unity. If you read the Bible in the Old Testament, and I've spent many years reading the Old Testament, and some of you have been long enough, you probably heard me use this illustration. But in David's time, when they would go out to battle, they used to have shields that were huge shields, big shields, and they would carry them. But at the end of those shields, there were hooks. And when they saw the enemy coming, they would hook those, those shields together and build a solid wall that could not be penetrated. But a soldier by, with his shield by himself would easily be taken down. We need one another. We need to be together. There's got to be presence. Because something happens when two or three people get together in the name of Jesus to do something great. Something about presence. Something about his goodness. There's something that happens when someone sends you an email like, hey, I love you, man. I believe in you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I don't care what they said about you. you got, I got your back. That means something. When someone looks at you in your eye and says, look, man, I know you're going through a hard time. I know what happened, but that doesn't matter. God's got you. I, I'm with you. God's going to do something great in your life. When God called a guy in the New Testament, his name skips my mind right now. He called them. He was a coward. And God said, you mighty warrior. He called him not for what he was, but he called him for who he's going to be. God talks. God calls you not for what you are now, but God calls you for what you're going to be. He looks at what you're going to be, not what you are right now. And we have to encourage that in one another. I love who you are. I love who you're going to become. You're not there yet, but don't worry about it, man. Neither am I. But together, we can get there with the help of God. There's something about his presence, something about his goodness Something when somebody drops what they're doing as busy as they are and they come by your side in your moment of pain, in your moment of grief and holds your hand. They may not say much to you, but just their presence there means a lot. They don't have to say anything. Just the fact that they came, they took time to come to be with you to let you know you're loved. We don't do that anymore. Presence. Holding one another, helping one another in our time of hurt. There's something about someone who comes to watch your kids play sports somewhere. They don't have to be there, they have their kids, but they come anyway and they champion and they brag. Or send your kid a note, a little note. Hey man, I saw you got an award, man. I'm proud of you. And tell you, you know, your kids are great. They mean something to me. I love what's happening in your life. I love what's happening in your family. And you know that they're with you, not only verbally, but physically they're with you. There's something about presence. Be present. And I'm not talking just about physical presence. It's also emotional presence. Because you know, you could be there and not be there. You could be there and not be there. Some people show up just to, I mean, we show up. But they're no longer there in the man room. Imagine how your family would feel if you made a rule in your house that when you sit down to have dinner, this is a no-phone zone, man. We ain't gonna do no phones. Miriam and I did that when our kids were little. We finished eating, So, "Ah, you ain't gonna." We said, so, "Now we're gonna talk." Did you think that might Jason and Lori like that? Sometimes, no. I didn't care. I just fed you. You see, and you say, well, for the next hour, you can tell them, we have a priority here. We're going to love one another. We're not going to do the phone deal no more. I wonder how different your friendships and your family would be if you make the people that are close to you, real close family, you say, no, I need you. You're a priority in my life. Presence, that's what I'm talking about. Let us give up the power and the habits. Let us not give up the power the, the, the power of meeting together and the habit of meeting together. The Bible says, as some have the habit of doing, we can't do that. Because as the family goes. The city goes, the state goes, and the country goes. And that's where America's going. It's not going good. Why? Because the most important thing in a family, in, in any situation, is the home. And when the home is broken apart, the rest of it goes down the drain. So the first thing I want to encourage you is to be present. Number two is to get open. Open up. Quit being a phony. Quit hiding. Be transparent. Yeah, you're going to get hurt, but you can't build walls. Chuck Swindle wrote a book, Dropping Your Guard. Matter of fact, it's not even in print, but you go to eBay and you can get it for three bucks. It's probably one of the best books you ever read. And he talks about building walls. That people build walls around them because they're hurt. And you know what happens? You live in a prison the rest of your life because nobody can reach you. When people want to love you, you don't let them love you. When they want to be your friend, because you got a wall. Because of somebody that hurt you way down somewhere in your life. you you got to be smart, but at the same time, be transparent with people. And learn to guard yourself without closing your heart. Experts have told us that the fastest growing phobia is the fear of telephone, people talking on the telephone. Can you believe that? And sometimes we can laugh at that. But a lot of you, when you answer, the, when the phone rings, you let it go to voicemail. And then when you listen to that message, and then you decide how you're going to answer it, because now you're in control. You can tell them whatever you want, whether it's true or not. And if you hear the voice before they hang up, and then you pick it up. Oh, I was in the other side of the, room, the house, and I just heard the phone ring. And the reason why people are afraid to talk on the phone is that they can't control the direction of the conversation. My granddaughter asked me about a year or so ago... Bernadette, what did, you, what did you guys do when we didn't have cell phones? And I said, what are you asking? Well, it must have been horrible. I said, no. We had phones in the office. We had phones at home. People waited. Left the message. And if you're on the road, you pulled up to a convenience store, and you pull out a couple of dimes, and you popped it into the phone, and you thought. That's it. But you know what? You think about it. Those of you that experience that, No big rush. Nobody was in a rush. People waited. But now, because of the social media, we don't want to talk on the phone because we can't control that conversation. And when someone texts you, oh, it's him again. It's her. Uh -uh, I ain't answering that. And you're in control but you can't do that on the telephone you can type it out you can edit it you can delete it carefully craft your response and you can you can be in control but on the phone you're not in control because you don't know where that conversation is going so we don't want to use that phone much and what's even funnier to me is that because people don't know how to talk on the phone they don't even know how to get off the phone they keep yapping away sometimes don't even know where they're going So people don't want to talk on the phone. And people now don't know how to share their heart, their emotions, their feelings. They expect for you to have to read between the lines because they can't be in control. Open up. Be transparent. In fact, there's, there's no verse that perhaps more powerful then, John five, then James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Find a small group to get involved. Find an accountability partner. Now, if you're looking for a perfect small group, there's no perfect group because you're not perfect. We're all dysfunctional in here. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care if you have as many degrees as the thermostat. You know, it doesn't matter. For a moment, you, you're still a dysfunction. you got some dysfunction. We all We're all jacked up. But that's that's the way humans are but we need one another we can come in a small group and share and love each other and help each other and know that somebody there cares how different would it be spiritually if you get together with trusted intimate Christian friends and you say man I'm struggling with anger my marriage my finances my emotions I'm angry I'm mad I just can't deal with this anymore Man, I need somebody to help me speak into my life. And you have a chance to talk about it, to let it out and get somebody, if nothing else, to give you a hug and say, it's going to be all right. I don't have a lot to tell you, but I want to let you know I'm with you. You need somebody to talk, call me. Give me some godly advice. Pray for me. Think about how different that would be. Now, here's the thing. You may want to jot this down. We may impress people with our strength, But we connect with people through our weaknesses. You can be strong and be jacked up. But we connect with people through our weaknesses. I need you, man. I need you. I need you in my life. This is what I'm struggling with in my home, in school, at work. Thoughts that are coming to my mind. And suddenly we start to connect and there's that intimate connection we're transparent I can't tell you how much but I believe that God wants you to hear this message to show to show you that he cares but he wants you to care so you show me your friends and I'm going to show you your future and if you don't have a lot of friends your future is not what God wants it to be because you're not going to a good future because God didn't create you to be independent on your own. He created you to be dependent on him and his people because he knew that we needed one another. We're incomplete without his body, without his church. And the good news this morning is that no matter where you are, God can bring the right people into your life. But I'm gonna tell you, it's not gonna happen accidentally. You can go home and pray all you want for friends. You got to get out and make friends. You want? I have people say, "Well, you know, they weren't ha- friend with me." Well, were you friendly with them? It's a two-way road. It's not going to happen on purpose. You got to work on it. And I believe that God will put you and hook you up with people that will love you. Yeah. Are you going to have a few people that are may take advantage? Yes. But you know what? You can't close yourself to people. You got family members that love you. Fine. You got some that you know you got squirrels in your family. You leave them alone. Let them climb the trees. I want us to bow our heads. Because I believe there's people here that really the truth of them. Listen to me. I'm going to say this up front. Don't let pride. Don't let pride. This is a moment. This is probably the most spiritual moment of any sermon. Because this is when God, after he's spoken to your heart, God wants you to humbly respond to him. Not to me. You're not doing it for me. I've already done my job. This is like playing tennis. I already put the ball in your court. It's up to you to do what you're going to do with it. But don't let pride rob you of this moment that God says, hey, give me a chance. Give me a chance to help you to touch your life. I know you're lonely. I know you've been hurt. But I want to do something different in your life. I want to bring you out of yourself. I want to help you to communicate and to contact and be in contact with other people so that you can have a network of people that can love you and care for you and you for them to make your life rich and make you the family that I want you to be. And if you're lonely and you're following these these feelings and you're dealing with issues in your life and you feel like you're all alone, maybe you've been hurt, and rightfully so. Don't let that build a wall to where you no longer reach out to people. And if you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to humbly raise your hand and put it down and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. Come on. Don't be thank you. God bless you. Come on. That's the truth. We're living in a lonely world. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that you touch everyone that raised their hand here this morning. Your word says in 1 John that we're your little children. And I thank you for that statement because we are your little children and you care for us. And you care for how we live. And you care for our success. And you care that we have friends, Christian friends, that we hang around with the right people that are going to motivate us to good works, motivate us to succeed in everything in our lives. I pray that you break barriers that have been built, that have caused us to distance ourselves from people. Even people that come to church, but they come in and they leave because they're afraid of people. Father, I pray that you break that. That we become one body, Father, however imperfect as we are and dysfunctional as we are, that we can still love each other through you. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've come to this church on and off and you're not an atheist. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe in his word. You believe the Bible is the word of God. You believe in heaven and hell. You don't have a problem with Christianity, but you have yet to cross that line of faith to surrender your life life to Jesus because you say, oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done, what I've lived, how. I'm afraid I'm not going to make it. You know what? That doesn't matter. God takes you the way you are. If I have to clean myself before I come to God, I don't need God. God says, trust me. Give me a chance to show you what I can do. Let me come into your heart. Make me the Lord of your life. I'm not asking you to join this church. No church, no denomination gave their heart, their life for you. Jesus did. I'm talking to you about a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. Not a denomination. God wants you the way you are. if you this morning would like to give your heart to Jesus and cross that line into the family of faith I just want you to raise your hand and put it down very quickly come on do it in the name of Jesus thank God let's pray I want everybody to pray with me say dear Jesus I ask you to forgive me of my sins forgive me of my transgressions I invite you to come into my heart I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I need your forgiveness, that I need your grace. Cleanse me with your precious blood. Make me whole. Fill me with your spirit and put my name in that book in heaven. I belong to you, Jesus. And I know that one day I will see you face to face, not as a stranger, but as a friend. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Let's give the Lord a clap off, come on.